I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to it, everybody. Your Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Julian McKenzie, and I'm back at it after I needed a full day to really soak in that Nicki Minaj uh, album. Uh, as you, as I, you, I would uh, love to know your thoughts on Nicki Minaj's Pink Friday too. That is no. exactly why we have the podcast for it. <laughs> it's all over TikTok. It's all yeah. over the charts. I need to know. You're you're a Bart. You're Queen Bart, man. You're a fan. No, I need to know I, your opinion, man. I, I am only saying that because I listened to the pod with you and Laz, and I wanted to hear how much you just ran me. And it took five seconds for you to say uh, that that was the reason why I wasn't on the pod. So I have to say, I, I love doing the show with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But when I'm told that you can't make the show, I literally spend like. If, if I know from like days before, I will spend an entire weekend trying to come up with a reason why you're not you're not <laughs> going to be available for the show. That that gives me so I put in more effort oh. into that than the planning of the show, which I don't, don't have worry. to do because produce we have great producers who help us do that. Well, don't worry because I know that the vacation season is starting next week. I'm going to cook up some reasons why you're not on the pod. Next week. So it's, all, <laughs> uh, it's all fair game. Look, I love that. I actually listened to the. Uh, Pretty much the entire, I got through most of the pod with you uh, and Laz and then you and, and Jesse Granger, and it was great stuff. My favorite part of your pod on Monday was Laz talking about how, by the way, he owns a Tavares jersey, which is like, yes. wow, that's <laughs> unreal. Uh, but that conversation of you suggesting that John Tavares was going to get to a thousand points on Long Island on Monday, I think the word you used was delicious and we couldn't wait to see it. And guess what? It happened, and it happened on a late tying goal, and all of the emotions that we thought might happen, they happened, and it was a really emotional scene, and I mean, I see people saying the Islanders fans, they should have shown more respect, and they needed to be deferential. The guy got a milestone. I loved Arthur Staples' column on Tuesday morning, in which Stape just basically said, hey, they're Islanders fans. And they wear it, and it's authentic, and that's them. And I get it. Like, I'm not saying that I can understand 
the, all the vitriol because they really hated John Tavares. So if they, I, I understand, I guess my point is, I understand, Julian, the inability to park that emotion for even 90 seconds. Like, it's it's hard to do as a fan. So I'm okay with that. I, I, I love the passion from that fan base. If they feel like that's the way they want to express it, express it, right? Yeah, I, I have a hard time telling fans how to behave within reason. So I, while I do see that there are people out there who are going to look at Islanders fans and be like, man, you guys should just get over it. At the same time, I'm like, do they really have to? This is who they are. This is what they want to do. It's their they paid the ticket to get in. They have every right to express their feelings about John Tavares getting that a thousand point, however they feel. So when I saw that column from from Arthur Staples, like I I, I get that it, it had that Islanders focus, but I just thought of so many other fan bases that boo opposing players who have some kind of history to them. I think of like Calgary Flames fans who boo Adam Fox mercilessly every time he plays a game at the Saddledome. He has never played a game as a Calgary Flame, but he gets drafted by the Flames. He doesn't sign with them. He goes to the New York Rangers. What do you want Flames fans to do? Of course they're going to get upset about that type of stuff. So imagine being a New York Islander fan who pinned their hopes and dreams on this number one overall player, and he decides he's going to go play for the team that he grew up loving, which I think you can respect that and i think yep. you can you know be happy for him but to go to a point where you don't want to boo him like i mean you're allowed to do that too but you're also allowed to boo him as well so i had no problem with islanders fa i think it makes the moment even better like if if john Tavares gets that 1000th point and islanders fans just clap and they're just neutral that's so boring considering the history we know with this yeah. franchise and John Tavares. We needed them for full maximum entertainment. We needed them to boo. I was wondering if someone was going to throw a jersey on the ice or throw any type of debris. Not saying that's something I condone, but I'm wondering if we would have gone to that level because of the hatred that's out there. I think the moment was absolutely perfect. I root for stories, and I have to admit, watching that game last night, when John Tavares got that point, I was like, yes, like, oh my God, he got it. Like, this is... This is great. I, and I'm sure you watched the reaction in the stands with his dad. His dad. Like, that's pretty, again, it's pretty cool. Like, think about it. If I asked you, Julian, name me, uh, I'm going to give like a bunch of guys, like Jeremy Roenick, where did he get his thousand? Right. Daniel Alfredson, where did he get his thousandth point? Uh, Jerome McGinley. Like, you don't know, but I, I, I don't you know. Are going to remember 10 years from now, you're going to be like, oh yeah, John Tavares got his thousandth point. On Long Island because it's memorable. I'm with you. You know what? I was thinking about this too. I think the most memorable milestone ever in hockey achieved by a player who used to play for another team, so kind of like Tavares did, would have been yeah. Wayne, think about this. Wayne Gretzky, when he broke Gordie Howe's record for points, career points, went from uh Edmonton to LA, and then on the night that he broke the record, happened to be back in Edmonton. Like, what are the? But he got a great ovation, if I'm not mistaken. Memory serves me. It was an awesome moment, milestone moment. But sometimes you wonder if there are hockey gods sitting way up in the clouds, and they're like, you know, stroking their chin. They're like, what would be the the most delicious way for this player to get the milestone or whatever? And like John Tavares doing it on Long Island. Now, granted, not in the building that he ever played in as a player, but still, like. You can feel it. I thought it was cool. 
I thought it was a really great moment. That's one of my favorite things that's happened so far this season. I think it was a great moment. And for people, even if you have no rooting interest in the Islanders or the Leafs, just knowing about that backstory, yeah. that's what's going to draw casual fans in to that type of stuff. I, I'm all for it. And I think it just played out perfectly. I couldn't care less about the overtime result. I couldn't care less about anything else with those two teams. I think the fact that we got that point seconds before the game ended I loved it. I thought it was a perfect moment. And, you know, and again, if you look at this from an Islanders fan's perspective, uh, you got an extra chance to boo Tavares and your team still won the game. And Yeah, it worked and, out for you and, anyway. And we got to talk about the New York Islanders who I think, I don't know, Julian, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, were like, wow, this program is stale. This team is, uh, you know, th there was a lot of calls for firing Lane Lambert. Uh, a lot of feeling that too. Yeah, there were a lot the of Islanders. There were a lot of people questioning Uncle Lou. Uh, yeah, and guess what? By virtue of that win Monday night, yeah, I just double checking this. They pulled themselves into second place in the Metro. That Metro division now features the Islanders, Flyers, Capitals holding down playoff spots. The Rangers we figured would be there, Julian. That that's not a surprise. Islanders, Flyers, and Capitals ahead of the Devils, Hurricanes, and to some extent, the Penguins. You want to talk about shock? Like, I know people look at the Oilers and like, wow, I can't believe the Oilers are in the playoff spot. I would argue the Metro division, the way it's played out, there's nothing more surprising than Carolina and New Jersey on the outside looking in and being replaced by those teams. Crazy. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Like, I was watching parts of, uh, it might have been Edmonton, Carolina over the weekend. And I was stunned to hear that the Carolina Hurricanes, at the time, it may still be the case, have the league's worst team safe percentage. Like, that blows my mind. But, but does, it, does it really blow your mind? Or do you realize that this is a team that, last couple of years, Julian, they've, they've identified everything. They've got a nice group of deep forwards. Really, really, uh, I love the depth on defense. I think they got a great blue line. The goaltending has always just kind of been mid. Or even worse, it's been below that. It's been kind of their Achilles heel, right? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say Achilles heel. The fact that you said mid, I would totally expect that goaltending per percentage to be mid, considering all the pieces in front of them. I do not expect it to be at the bottom. In a league where we were clowning San Jose for weeks about yeah. them possibly being the worst team, we're looking at Chicago as like one of the worst supporting casts in the league. And you mean to tell me the Carolina Hurricanes are worse at goaltending than those two teams? Yeah. I mean, I, I should double check for myself with, with, with team stats here, but like, really? Yeah, that's absolutely a surprise. The New Jersey Devils, who made all that progress last year, we've, we've talked on this show so many times about how the roller coaster that Lindy Ruff has been on with the fan base, and now they find themselves just fighting to get back in. And all the while, the Islanders, with the team that they have, they were looking, they were looking, to be a team that was going to be in that middle, the Capitals, we sort of put them away a little bit. We just kind of thought they would only be a team oh, that we'd only check absolutely. in on whenever Alexander Ovechkin would score goals on. And the, the the Philadelphia Flyers, they're supposed to be rebuilding. They're not supposed to be good. They're not supposed to be doing this stuff. But John Tortorella seems like almost everywhere he's gone, he finds a way to squeeze the most out of the teams that he's coaching. And at the and look through hell and high water and all yeah. of the sound bites, he will try to find a way 
to bring a team to the playoffs. The Metro Division is the most interesting team in the in the sorry, the Metro Division is the most interesting division in the National Hockey League, and it has everything to do with where the teams are slated. The Pittsburgh Penguins. We haven't even brought up the Pittsburgh Penguins and oh, the man. fact that they made this big move to get Eric Carlson, and they're at the bottom of that division. Oh, and there's Columbus. You know, there's Columbus just at the bottom there. Uh, it, what a wild last few months for them. But I'm not surprised that Columbus is there. Basically, two through seven right now in the division. If you would have told me that would have been the order on December 12th, I'd look at you really weirdly. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm with you on Washington. I think a lot of us just slap the expired label on them. And we're like, you know, they're they're done. Like, like they're done. There's no way like they've reached their best before date and it, they're not coming back. And, and then they get a new coach in Spencer Carberry and we're like, well, that's anyway, they're just, they don't have what it takes in Washington. And you know, what's really kind of interesting about the way Washington has done this is, you know, Alex Ovechkin has what five goals in 25 games. Man, um, That's a, you know, it's, it's not like Ovechkin, has been the guy carrying this thing. I, I think he's leading them in points, but he's not, he's not doing it. It's not the, the usual capitalist formula. So a huge amount of credit to uh, Spencer Carberry for coming in. They're getting better goaltending now from Lindgren. Uh, like, like Darcy Kemper has been good too, but like they are getting elite goaltending from Lindgren. Guess what? The Washington Capitals are, Kind of a like, kind of a feel good story. A team that had been in the playoffs for whatever fourteen years in a row. You wouldn't think that you could slap feel good on them or underdog, but I think you can, right? But but I wonder how long it'll last, right? Like, I mean, they have a minus goal differential. You mentioned Alexander Ovechkin being the leading scorer. He's the leading he, got goal five, he has five goals though, doesn't he? Sorry, he has five. Sorry, leading points together. He does have five goals, but yeah. he also Tom Wilson and Dylan Strom have more goals. Anthony Mantha has more goals. Also, in terms of points, I mean, Ovechkin only leads the team with 16 points. You know, like, I, I, I mean, the goaltending, they've been getting good goaltending from Charlie Lindgren. We were talking about that yesterday uh, with uh, with Jesse. But I wonder how long that lasts, especially in that division where at some point Carolina might wake up. At some point, New Jersey might also wake up. Some of the other teams in that division, too, right? Like, I, I wonder how long it lasts for the Washington Capitals. It's a very good story, but. Do they fall off in the second half? That could happen. They could also not. One of those three teams, I think, though, the Flyers, the Capitals, and the Islanders, I think one of them is going to make the playoffs. Yeah, and, and it's going to be fun to see. Somebody that we didn't pencil in in October is going to make the playoffs in April, and that's that's the beauty of the NHL is that you know usually you don't get eight out of eight teams making the playoffs year over year. There's always at least one team, if not two, that fall out of the picture. Tell you what, why don't we step aside? I think Mike Russo is pretty much ready to go, and we're excited to, to chat with Mike Russo. He always drops by the Tuesday edition of the pod. We'll take a break, come back with Mike Russo on the other side. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Thank you, Julian, for resisting the urge to call it Z-Biotics. Yeah, we had a whole convo about that yesterday. See, I I, I really really did listen to to this episode. Wow. Let's find out if Mike Russo... Uh, spends time listening to the Athletic Hockey Show when he's not a guest. Let's find out. Do we have Russo? Good question. There he is. There we go. It was only about ten years ago that I I learned that you guys pronounced it Zed. So, so. Uh, <laughs> Can but, I just say, uh, I, as a Canadian, I'd much rather Z than Zed. Yeah. Hey, Julian, I should have used Z-Biotics in Calgary the night before that game because I'm still <laughs> feeling, the, uh, I'm feeling the effects a week later. I'm not as young as I used to be. Oh, oh my lord! We, well, next time we hang out, next time, next time we see each other in person, we gotta, we gotta get after one, man. Yeah. We gotta. I, I, I want to see how much it gets down. Yeah, I had a couple old fashions at that uh, Marriott bar. Holy oh, crap! Oh, that next day man. was tough. Yeah. Man, I'll take you next time you're in Calgary. I'll take you to Major Tom. Much better. Oh, I've been there. Bar. Oh yeah, Major yeah, Tom yeah. for that stuff. Yeah. Look at this perfect, perfect product placement. I forgot, for, by uh, the way, that we're on the air. Is this uh, Z, live? Yeah, Zbiotics. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, Mike, we love having you on, and I know in a, in a few minutes we got a a conversation uh, between you and Brock Besser, which uh, having just a wonderful uh, rebound season for him. So we look forward to that conversation. But look, the Wild were in the news cycle on the weekend, and like for me, I ended up writing about this because. Look, I didn't like that Evander Kane got away with that hit on Brodeen without a penalty. Like, I, I didn't think that was right. And then we saw, you know, Montreal, Buffalo, we saw another hit. And Columbus, Florida, we saw another hit. And it just felt like all of a sudden, like, everything started to boil over on these hits from behind. But it all started with Kane on Yo- on uh, on Jonas Brodeen. And I'm just wondering, like, where do you come down on this? Because I know you, you cover the team. You watched Brodeen get injured on that play. And it was just, you know. Just a tough weekend, I think, for the NHL that way. Yeah, I mean, um, like I, I obviously saw Kyle Oposa, who I know really well from here in Minnesota, um, you know, rant about that uh, the other day. And and um, I actually think that was a five-minute major. I'm not so sure that Evander Kane should have been a five-minute major, but at a minimal, minimum, a boarding penalty. Um, and I'm actually one of those people, I don't come down on the fact that I think Evander should have been suspended. I think that there are different standards for a suspension compared to a penalty. And in the case of Jonas Bordin, um, the, the league, and I, you know, again, I do think that sometimes um, that players need to protect themselves better in the league standpoint there. Um, Jonas didn't put himself in a great position and what, and put himself almost in a defensive, defensive uh, position, but the league also felt that Evander can't hit him in that situation and gave him a warning from a supplemental discipline standpoint. But the two referees found out the next morning that they screwed up and that the league felt it should have been a minimum reporting penalty. The other ones I think should have been majors. Um, I was surprised that the not that that would have given Gabranson the time to to cool off, but I was surprised. I think Nick Cousins only got a two minute minor. I thought that was an egregious board, and I thought the other one is what was as well. So I think the problem again is that, look, it's different referees every game. Everybody has a different standard. This is a fast game where everybody sees things differently. But the lack of consistency right now has put 
uh, players in a position where they don't know what the hits uh, are and what the penalties should be and things like that. And so, you know, I think that the league got the Evander Kane thing probably right from a suspension standpoint, but it, without a doubt, he should have been given a boarding minor. And that, that non-call turned the game upside down because then the Wild took a retaliation on the same play on Evander. They got called for that. And, uh, and then gave up the tie-breaking goal for the winner. So it, it's just, you know, it, it's just typical to me inconsistencies with officiating that has put a lot of doubt in the minds of players. So what do you do with that, right? I I, I think of all the hits that, yeah. uh, have, that have been mentioned here, like just seeing the Nick Cousins one, where it's one thing to put Eric Branson in the position that he was going to be in. It's a whole other thing to basically put all of yourself to smother good Branson along the boards. And then you get a minor penalty out of it. And then it takes Eric good Branson to <laughs> take it within his own hands and just throw him to the ice. Like, yep. I, I don't know if the NHL wants that as, as a thing where you have more players handing out justice. If you look at essentially what was given out to good Branson after that, a one game <laughs> suspension, a lot of players in his position are going to take that every time. If that's yeah. what it is, you're going to miss one game. You're going to only lose a little bit of your game check. That's not a big problem, but yeah. I don't I don't want to get into a whole rant with that, but what do you do in that situation? Yeah, it's it's tough because, you know, first of all, we don't we have not seen that type of play in a long long time where old school a guy just goes out and takes it upon himself. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Eric Branson in a locker room without a shirt on, but yeah. I would not want those freaking biceps punching me in the face bare knuckled like 20 times on the on the I mean, he looked like he was he was like starting a lawnmower there on Nick Cousins. Oh, my God. It was I cannot imagine what that felt like. So I, I think Nick Cousins will think twice next time he goes up on against Eric Branson. And that sometimes is what it needs to take. The thing with Evander Kane is I think we all know that it, it is not a fair fight. If you're going to fight Evander Kane, he will beat the living crap out of you. Matt Cook even learned that once. I mean, Matt, you know, Evander Kane can take care of himself, which is part of the issue there is that he knows what, you know, what's anybody going to do about it. I mean, even Marcus Fino had a chance to challenge him later in the game and, and didn't do it. So um, I, I don't know what to get to your original uh, question there. I don't know what to do here because I, I genuinely, you know, sometimes I, I get accused of being like somebody that just goes after officials all the time. The funny thing is I know them all. And even that morning in the lobby of the hotel, I was chatting with both Mitch Dunning and TJ Luxmore. I'm friendly with them both. Um, and they did that game that night. I do think that genuinely the referees want to do a good job, but I don't understand how sometimes they miss calls like this. And I think the fact that there's inconsistency across the board um, throughout the league has put a lot of players in positions where they just don't know what the rules are. But, you know, to get back to what Oposo said, his point was, is that because the league didn't come down on Kane and because it was no penalty on Kane, well, how is this anyway? As, as Arpon, you know, I thought astutely uh, tweeted, the, the question wasn't that that shouldn't have been a major. It was that the Kane one wasn't. And so that inconsistency is where the players, I think, get confused. Yeah, and, and I, I want to pick both of your brains on the David Perron six-game suspension because it is a little bit different than Good Branson. Like, Good Branson, to me, was clearly premeditated. Like you said, Mike, hunted a player down yeah. old school. You, you don't see that that often. David Perron, I'm going to put myself in his mind for a split second, but he sees his captain laid mm -hmm. out and something very visceral took over, and he just went and cross-check the first guy that he saw in the head it, it it's awful but like i i can i'm not trying to rationalize what he did i'm just trying mm -hmm. to I, 
I'm understanding why he did what he did. And it's, it's jarring to see your captain out like that. But I saw Alan Walsh's tweet and I get it. Like, he's like, David Prawn's never been suspended before. Like, did you guys feel like six was the right number on Perron? Like, all things considered? Um, I mean, you can't do what he did. No. Uh, but the problem mm -hmm. is, again, the inconsistencies. You know, as Alan Walsh has been rant tweeting the last 24 hours, um, you know, he has shown multiple uh, cross checks to the head that either amounted to nothing or a one or two game suspension. It's the difference with those is they were in the heat of battle. But one could argue this was too. As your point was, like, like again, I'm a little biased here because I like David Prawn a lot and I know him really well. Okay, so that I will say that. Uh, so it's hard for me to sometimes uh, rip into that guy. Um, but you see Dylan Larkin on the ice motionless. You look up and you see Zub standing over him. Yeah. He just, his wires crossed. Nobody wants to see Perron cross-check in the hand. I guarantee you David Perron regrets the decision, especially when he realized that he didn't go after the person that actually, in his mind, um, you know, created the problem. Um, but but I also think that you need to, as a league at times, stand up and say, look, <laughs> you can't take vigilante justice into your own head, and at a minimum, you can't go after the guy that 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 didn't create the issue. I mean, in suspending Branson, the league actually noted that they got that they respected the the fact that that Nick Cousins that he was angry with Nick Cousins hitting him from behind. So they almost in that suspension were almost rationalizing that he went after the right guy, if that makes any sense. So um, I I don't know. I, I think six games is probably the right number. If all of a sudden when other guys get cross checked in the head, we start seeing similar numbers. I mean. That to me is the issue is we have seen some vicious, vicious um, plays in the last couple of years that don't even wind up being a hearing. And I think that's where, again, from an inconsistency standpoint, that fans and media alike and people inside the game just don't get where the Department of Safety, Department of Player Safety at sometimes come from. It does almost create the, the belief, the perception out there that they just throw a dart at the board and sees and see where it's it lands. I've sat in with these guys. I know that they try to do a really good job. I don't buy at all that there's bias inside that department, but at times, even though somebody that respects the job that they have, I get where people get angry at some of the decisions and are perplexed because there's, even though they put out these videos, these videos to try to be transparent, sometimes it would help if they actually put out a public statement and say, this is why Ryan Strom wasn't suspended for kneeing Kyle Connor. This is why Matt Dumba is not suspended for elbowing Joe Pavelski in the face. You know, this is why Marcus Foligno is not suspended for kneeing Radic Fox. I mean, sometimes that would be, I think, a very, um, you know, meaningful thing that they could do to try to explain sometimes where they get the no calls. Two, two things here. One, you, you say dartboard for that type of stuff with mm -hmm. department player safety. I use a wheel. Like you have like one game, two game, three game, four game, five game, yep. no justice, whatever. And you spin <laughs> the wheel and then there's some type of that's how they determine it. That's the joke I've used in the past. Um, I also just just look at the David Perron thing. Just looking at the reaction and, and how that goes about it just feels as if that was like a very violent play. Also, yep. the fact that Zub is kind of hanging hanging around where, where Dylan Larkin is like that's extremely dangerous one thing i always worry about whenever players are knocked out to the point where they're unconscious or even after a really dangerous hit if they're just on the ground i think if you're a player you have to do everything you can to get everyone out of the way to yeah. let that player just you know let someone tend to them 
I'm, I'm not sure if that I'm pretty sure that doesn't play a role in the suspension here. But to see David Perron go at a guy who didn't even hit, uh, who didn't even cause the impact on on Dylan Larkin yeah. and right by where Dylan Larkin is laying, that is just extremely dangerous. I also don't know if I agree with all the examples that Alan Walsh is bringing up and saying, well, how come all these things only got one game or two game or anything like anything like that? Like, I know he he tweeted out uh, Austin Matthews getting uh, the discipline he got for for Rasmus Dahlin in front. He shouldn't have got him in the neck, but I think it's a much different situation or a much different impact compared to what uh, it, it, compared to what David Perron was doing with Art, Artem Zub. Definitely, I think, I th- at the very least, I'll say, you know what? Maybe Matthews should have gotten more. The discipline should have been different. But I don't think six games, we shouldn't be seeing that stuff. So I have a hard yeah. time disagreeing with the idea of, of, of six games going for David Perron. And I get it. Like, you know, there's, other instances where the the punishment should have been more, but I don't know. I I I think they got this one right, but it is inconsistent, and that's going to be a problem. That's it, what's disappointing about this is that I thought the DOPS was getting it right at the start of the season with the way they were handing out justice. Now it doesn't. I, I wonder if 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 they're still on that track. I'm not so sure right now. Uh, six games, the suspension for uh, for David Perron. Six games, the number of. Uh... Uh, games that uh, John Hines has been behind the bench for Minnesota, and they're four and two, Mike. Uh, in those six games, fresh off a win over the Kraken, uh, how much of the kind of turnaround in Minnesota do we attribute to the change behind the bench right now? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot. They're actually uh, five and two, and um, and they had a little five and two. two. Yeah, they had a little two game blip against the Canucks and. And uh, and the Oilers and and then went and rebounded against a Seattle team that man is one banged up, two just not playing very well. Um, so I, I think that a lot could be attributed to him. I mean, Matt Boldy is absolutely on fire right now. Six goals in the seven games that uh, Hines has been behind the bench. We're seeing him willing to make uh, significant line changes. It used to be very very hard for Dean Evason to to go that extra step and maybe separate Matt Zuccarello and Kirill Kaprizov when they were getting a little too cute. He did that right in Game Seven the other day. Separated them, and uh, and both lines uh, scored the Erickson Eck line with Kaprizov and Boldy, and then the Rossi line with Johansson and Zuccarello. Um, you know he's putting the top defense pair out there a lot more with the top line, and he's just come in there and given a clean slate to everybody. They're playing fast, fast hockey right now. Um, I think that that um, you know uh, Julian would agree that first period that the Wild played in Calgary the other night. I don't know if I've ever seen the Wild play that well in a period. Um, and then they wound up, uh, you know, uh, really handling some at some tough, tough moments in that game uh, really well to pull out the victory there. And so um, John's done a really good job. Uh, the question is, is this a normal, you know, coaching pump that you often get uh, from a coaching change or is this going to be the norm here in Minnesota? We'll find out. They haven't played the greatest teams uh, yet in their in their schedule and the two really, really quality teams that they played so far out of the seven they lost to. So there's still, the jury is still out, but uh, I did a huge profile on him tomorrow. He is really, I spent a couple hours with him in Vancouver, sitting down with him and he just is an impressive um, guy. And the one thing you learn about John Hines when you sit with him is he is um, somebody that, that uh, is very comfortable in his own skin. He's done this forever. This is somebody that's not just been a head coach in the NHL for nine years. He's a 27 year career coach. Um, he has uh, coached some of the best players in the league. He coached Taylor Hall in an MVP season. Obviously, Yossi gets the Norris in Nashville, but he's coached so many of great American players, guys like Patrick Kane swear by him. Um, and he spent this offseason really trying to self-improve by shadowing staffs 
um, you know, NHL benches in Tampa Bay, San Jose, uh, shadowing the SEC uh, football Vanderbilt team. Um, so he did a lot to really look inside himself, self-scout, self-scout and try to get better. Speaking of Patrick Kane, uh, he has played three games for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, he yep. even has a goal to his name as a Detroit Red Wing. But the Red Wings are 0-3. It's not Patrick Kane's fault that the Red Wings uh, have not won since he joined the team, right? How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I only watched the one game uh, and coincidentally the game that he scored in. Um, and I, I was super excited for him. I, I like Patrick Detroit fans lot. might want you to watch more games if that's <laughs> how it's going to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, but yeah, this isn't his fault. I mean, sometimes I'm sure it's changed the lines around and things like that. But but sometimes it's just happenstance that this stuff happens. And um, I still believe that Patrick Kane's going to go there and make an impact. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and we'll see where it goes. The, the Now the big concern, though, is Dylan Larkin and how long he's going to be outside their lineup. You know, I mean, is this just a seven-day type thing and he's going to miraculously overcome this uh, clearly head injury that he has? Or are they going to be very, hopefully, very, very careful with somebody that has a history of this? So um, we'll, we'll see what happens with the Red Wings. But they are a talented up-and-coming team. And, um, you know, we'll see wh- where Patrick really fits in there. Uh, before we let you go, Mike, we want to get you to set up the Brock Besser uh, chat that's coming up here and I you've written about Brock and uh, his family and all the uh, the struggles and the and the highs and the lows that they've experienced over the last few years uh, so I know that you know the athlete on a very personal level so anytime you connect with Brock Besser I know it means something to you so uh, set this up and and kind of you know give us a sense of of Brock Besser's season this year as he's really you want to talk about real good rebound feel good stories mm-hmm. boy you'd have to put Brock Besser near the top of the list yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, at, at the t- uh, like, I mean, the one thing about Brock is uh, if you know him, he is just a great, great person. So I think a lot of us that know him um, really, really are uplifted by the fact that he is having such a great season. At the time of this interview, he was leading the league in goals. Now he's right, I think, one behind Kucherov and Matthews. Um, <clears throat> but he uh, lost his father last year. And um, as you mentioned, I I'm kind of the resident Brock Besser beat writer here at The Athletic. I've written probably 15 features on him, um, you know, dating to also my time at the Star Tribune. I've gotten to know the family really well. In fact, I'm talking to his mom tomorrow morning for a story that I'm going to be writing on Friday on Brock's season and and just how he's why and how he is playing so stress-free this year. I mean, this is somebody that's had to watch his dad um, not just be sick last year and dying, um, but having to deal with um, really maladies that his dad had for years and the stress that that put on him. And I think that there's a load taken off his shoulders right now. He's clearly taken a Rick Tockett and Mike Yo there in Vancouver, and he's playing just really, really quality hockey. I mean, even the game the Wild had the other day in Vancouver where the Canucks didn't have a ton of scoring chances. Brock was all around the, the scoring chances in that game. And so um, he's just a great, great kid. Um, as I mentioned, I'm going to be doing a big feature on him uh, this week. And, um, you know, this is uh, one of my more brief interviews that we've done um, here on the Athletic Hockey Show, just because he was kind enough to do this on a on a game day. Um, but hopefully you get a little bit of uh, inkling on, on what he uh, dealt with last year, what he has been the reason for his success um, this year, and, and maybe a little bit of the future. Because remember, last year, there was a very good chance at one point he was going to be traded. The Wild tried to make it happen. They weren't able to because of their cap space. But now, suddenly, as he has this resurgence, um, you do have to wonder what his, uh, what his future is going to be in Vancouver. Well, listen, we're looking forward to it. Like you said, six or seven minutes, whatever it is. Uh, Mike, as always, thanks for uh, for dropping by the uh, the Tuesday edition of the pod. Yep, see you guys.
There he goes. There goes Mike Russo. Uh, and let's let's do a little eavesdropping here. Let's listen in. It's Mike Russo in conversation with Vancouver forward Brock Besser. Be joined by the NHL's leading goal scorer, Brock Besser. Is it as uh, fun for you to hear as it is for me to say? Huh, yeah, it's. I mean, anytime someone's saying that, I think uh, things are going pretty well. Yeah. So. What, what what happened this year? I mean, you know, you've just gotten off to a great start. You're healthy. Um, and it just seems like this team, even though I know you, you were talking in the locker room, it's been sputtering a little bit lately. It's just been such a great start for you guys overall. Yeah, for sure. I think just um, having a good summer of training and um, just mentally feeling feeling good and motivated. I think that was uh, plays a big part in my success. And um, yeah, just with our team, I think uh, talk's been great with us. We really focus on the, the small details of the game and, you know, systems and structure. And um, yeah, I think that's got got us where we are right now and like like you said we've been kind of winning a game losing a game lately so are we just just trying to get back on track right now i know the talk has always said that he loves working with right shot forwards uh, you know i think he's a soft spot because he was a right shot forward yeah. he goes on the ice early i mean does, has he worked with you at all individually or, or is, um it's or more just like you know group things uh if guys get out on the ice early he loves getting out there early and doing some drills mm -hmm. um, you know whether it's shooting or you know some low offensive stuff um you know he, he loves getting out there and and uh, helping guys out. Yeah, and I just even seen you on the ice today with Mike Yo, which uh, yeah. all Minnesota fans know uh, know Yozy just from yeah. his time there coaching the Wild. Uh, uh, we're the only coach that has gotten them since Jacques Lemaire passed the first round twice. Um, what what has he brought to this team in the in the years that he's been here? Yeah, he's been great for us. Um, he's a, a very smart guy, and for us forward group, he's a good communicator. Mm -hmm. You know, he takes talks to guys individually, and I think you always want that as um, a forward coach just to be able to talk to a guy and you know kind of see how you're playing and get good feedback so he's been he's been great for us and um, you know I'm just glad to get to work with him you um, you know back to you I mean you know last year there were always all those trade rumors I know Minnesota was one team that would have, they had the cap space they would have loved to brought you in Brock I mean how much how was it hard was it a distraction to keep that stuff out of your head and and what do you think now the future is for you here yeah I mean it was last year was a rough year overall just you know, playing wise and, you know, mentally and, and, you know, with the, the trade rumors. So, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm happy, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. I'm happy that I'm still here and I never got traded. Um, you know, I love Vancouver. Uh, it's been great to me. The city's been great. The mm -hmm. fans have been great. So I'm just focused on this year and, um, you know, trying to, continue to produce yeah. and score goals for our team and get our team back in the playoffs. You, you, you know, you, you how how much also is it just maybe a, a load off your shoulder just with what what went on with your father last year and you know is it do you feel like there's just this stress off of you yeah. coming into this year yeah, and your mind free that, when I talk about mentally I think that's kind of what I what I mean um, mm -hmm. you know it's when you go through uh, something dramatic like that it it takes a it takes a lot from you it takes a lot of, like it's very heavy on you and you know everyone copes with it differently and. Um, you know, especially when you're, you know, I'm away for mm -hmm. nine months of the year, eight months, whatever it is, uh, it can be hard being away from family mm -hmm. and, you know, not dealing with it. So, um, yeah, I think just feeling better about all that has really kind of helped me get back to my game. How is your mom doing? I talked to her the other day. I know she was, I think the day I talked to her, she was coming out here. Yeah. Uh, yeah she you. just got out here. So it was great to see her. And, um, yeah, she's excited for me to play net play in minnesota next week and um get back home for yeah. christmas too how much of our family will be there for that 
I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I can only imagine there's going to be a ton of people. Yeah. The, um, you know, in, in terms of the team right now, where do you think that this could go? Because it does look like, yeah. you know, as long as you get out of this little funk, I think we got to, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's important. Like you, you know, it's 82 game season. You're, you're going to have ups and downs. And, um, I think with our group, we have, you know, we have great goaltending and I think our decor is, is really good. And I mean, it's hard to say like how good our decor really is, but, um, you know, in those first games when we were winning and mm-hmm. they were tremendous and you know, our forward group was tremendous. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's been a little rough lately and, um, you know, I think us forwards and defense just want to get back to that, that game where it's, uh, you just kind of know what everyone's doing. And I think, I think that will help us out and get back to our game. Yeah. By the way, what did you do this summer to train? I know, uh, you know, you always have the fun, the bachelor pad too. Yeah, no, I'm, your buddies and- um, I think I'm past that. Um, it's been more just, you know, I was, I started May 1st, so I only uh-huh. took a couple of weeks off after the season last year. So that was a big change up for me and, you know, just working as hard as I can and skating a lot. And then, um, our whole team came here a couple of weeks early and skated together before camps mm-hmm. with our skills coach. So I thought that helped a lot too. Yeah. It seems like this team, you know, is, is tight. I mean, you know, that maybe some of the issues of yours past are, are pretty much gone or for sure. Yeah. I think we're just sick of losing and yeah. um, we, we knew we had to raise our standard and I, I think we set a pretty good example for the new guys of, you know, getting here early and working hard. So uh, it's, it's been good so far, but we want to continue to raise that standard and, hopefully make the playoffs for the city yeah well thanks brock for doing this, especially on a game day i uh, really appreciate it and lots of luck tonight against the wild yeah thanks for so yep, see you bud there we go um i was a little thrown off there we didn't get the back to you uh ian and julian oh man okay look the fact that we have uh these interviews you know we should be grateful that michael was did you notice this brock Besser? if you're listening to this you can go back you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever in your feed. Listen to Brock Besser say, thanks, Russo. That, 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 that <laughs> call Mike, right? Thanks, Russo. How do you feel about, um, you know, like in radio, they have like celebrities who will be like, hey, you're listening to Virgin Radio. What if we got like hockey players to be like, hi, I'm insert player's name here. And you're I'm listening Brock to Besser. the Athletic Hockey Show. Yeah. Hi, I'm Brock Besser. And you're listening to the Athletic Hockey Show. Or, hi, I'm Mackenzie Weger. Or, hi, I'm this person. Or, hi, I'm Brady Kachuk. And you're listening to the Athletic Hockey Show. How do you feel about that? I feel like now with the sort of where AI is, we don't need to go to the player. We can just no. computer no. generate their voice. No. Hey, this is Sidney do Crosby and Connor McDavid. No. You're listening to Ian and Julian. No. This is a No. No, there are places that use AI for for you know what I'm not even gonna go. I'm not even gonna go there with that. I would rather we didn't do that. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time to wrap up the show by, you know, last week, maybe we need to make this a recurring theme when you and I are together, whatever, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and maybe we call it awkward scrum moment or <laughs> where last week was Andre Vasilevsky. Um, you know, Andre Vasilevsky and the, uh, what do we call that? The flatulence. Yeah. Do we ever figure out who, who farted in that scrum? <laughs> <laughs> we never did. <laughs> we never did. I mean, look, uh, flatulence. We're beating around the bush, people. Some, but someone let one go. Yeah, someone yeah. let one rip. So happened. Yeah. Well, uh, Miko ranted and let one kind of. He ripped on a teammate's dad. Um, yeah. I guess he's putting the rant and ranting in here. Have a listen. This is from Monday night as Miko ranted and uh, is taking a subtle or not so subtle dig at teammate or Terry Lekkinen's dad. It was good, you know, and uh, actually one thing where I got a lot of extra energy, you know, one of our Finnish NHL players' dad was talking shit about me in media that I didn't train last summer like I used to do, and, and uh, he was just making making things up, so I think that was, that was for him, you know. Uh, if, you, if you talk shit, it's going to come back at you, so... Miko Rand, I, I love, there's nothing I love more than Finnish and Swedish players, the casual swearing. They just, they just say it uh, <laughs> as needed. But I love how he doesn't identify Arteri Lekkinen, who, by the way, is out of lineup right now with an injury. But he, he says, one of my Finnish NHL teammates' dads. Gee, I, I wonder who that is. Yeah, be. I was about to say, how many Finns are on that team? You know, like you're really narrowing it down for us, Miko. Uh, do you think in any way that this was facetious? Like, do you think he was legit, straight up, like, serious about this? Or do you think he I, was, we're going to find out that he, this was him messing around? I I, I I I was following Peter Baugh's coverage on this because, I mean, in particular, I was, I was following generally because it was a Flames uh, avalanche game. But it, it's my understanding that after that happened, uh, I, I think like because there were people recording what was going on. It's my understanding that like or like I, I think Miko went back into the locker room and like made sure that this was gonna go out. Like I think he was pretty serious. That's that's at least how I understood what he. What was also clarified was that Miko and Arturi Lekkinen, they're good. Like this, th- this is no beef between the two. This is just clearly Miko going at his dad. And I also I'm also curious how how Arturi. Uh, would feel about the fact that his own dad is slamming his own teammate 
for not working hard. Like, how do you go about that? At least they're good, those two players, but that could still produce an awkward situation. Also, why now? Like, or actually, I shouldn't say why now. I guess the 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 criticism maybe just came out recently. And as producer Jeff brought out, yeah, I mean, Yol Kivaranta is the other Finn that's on the team. Okay, uh, so as far as three. we know, so there's three. But as far as we know, we don't know if if, uh, if Kivaranta has a father who works in media who would take shots at yeah. Nico Ranton. Boy, I don't know. Like, what do you think the dynamic is? Like, if your dad, like, how much responsibility is on our Terry Lekkinen? Like, if, okay, let, let me put it this way. Things will get kind of weird between us. If I found out that, you know, your dad went to some friends and be like, man, Ian Matt is a terrible co-host. The guy doesn't put I, in the work. He doesn't, he's not a great co-host for my son. Now I would kind of feel like, huh, that's interesting. Like it'd be kind of weird, would it? Is this going to get it'd be weird? Really weird. Between Lackett really and, and Ranton? But I'll tell you this, I disagree with my dad and I tell you straight up that I disagree with him. And I tell my dad, I disagree with his opinion. Um, I'm, I would also be very curious as to how my dad talking crap about Ian has, has gone out through the airwaves considering he does not have a cell phone. So <laughs> wait, your dad doesn't have a cell phone. Does not have a cell I phone. I am so envious of that man. A what lot a, of people are. Yeah. He, what a he has, he has an iPad. He has an iPad. So he will message me on, on iMessage from like, time to with time. With iMessage, yeah. Yeah, but he does not have a cell phone. So if you call him, you have to do either a FaceTime through the iPad or like a old school telephone call. Yeah, like I like my my parents still have uh, a landline, so I'll call yeah. home and I'll talk to like my mom and dad that way. My mom has a cell phone, but she's one of those people who will like turn their phone off. So there are times I'll call my mom and the phone doesn't pick up, and I'll be I'll be at my mom, I'll yell, I'll, I'll not yell at my mom, but I'll be like, mom, like turn your phone on. She's like, I don't know, I don't use my phone. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, my parents are two of the weirdest people with that sort of stuff. My mom doesn't really use her phone. And my dad just doesn't have one. So I just call gonna, him on the landline. I'm going to get our producers to edit that video clip that just says, my parents are two of the weirdest people. And we're just going to I don't have any clip. shame of saying that. But I and, think I come from a very unique family. I love yeah. my parents. Oh, very man. Much, so. so anyway, like 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 to me, that whole Lekkanen, Rantanen dynamic is going to be interesting. And... I don't know. It, it'd be weird. You might need you'll, you might need Kivaranta to play mediator between the two, if it got bad. But it seems like they're good. But it's Miko Ranta. Like this is an elite superstar, right? Like nobody's going to be not taking his side, right? Like, I mean, I guess. I mean, it, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, hey, look, they won a cup with those guys. I mean, Kivaranta wasn't on that team when that happened, but like they've gone through battles before. They've gone through tougher times. Like this is just Miko Ranta improved his point. As far as I'm concerned, uh, the team that you cover is never dull. The Calgary Flames, nope. uh, never dull. And, you know, I think once they traded Zadorov, the feeling was like maybe this is going to be some dominoes falling. The danger, of course, when you don't trade guys right away is that they could get hurt. So, what are we hearing on Tanev? Uh, what, what's the severity here? And have, have the Calgary Flames lost? potentially a trade chip here here's the thing we don't know at this point what i mean we i don't know if you saw the hit uh with ross colton yesterday like 15 it was like seconds right into, into the game, game right like at the start right of the game? into the game 
like yeah. 15 seconds into the game, uh, Colton knocks Tanev into the boards. You can tell that like he, he, his head, his whole face just goes into the board. And I think he, he kind of instinctively kind of reaches for it just to kind of, you know, just caress it a little bit, just to, it seems like there's discomfort there, but it's really hard to speculate about where the injury is coming from. The only thing we could say is that he's not going to play tonight against Vegas. Um, it's, I know uh, some other media are on site there. It seems like he might be feeling a little bit better after yesterday, but he didn't play after that hit. And this isn't the first time, as far as I'm concerned, with Chris Tanev, where he has been put in a situation where you're wondering about his health. There was a game a couple weeks ago against Vegas where he blocked a shot with his face. Yeah. And you're like, oh, crap. Like, 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 ah, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? Or not, what are you doing? But just, that's just the type of player that he is. He's a warrior for that team. Uh, yeah. I shouldn't have said, you know, what are you doing? That's just who Chris Tanev is. He's built differently. And so many guys in that locker room respect his leadership and respect the bravery that he'll put on the ice at any given moment. But the unique situation that presents itself with him being a, a pending UFA and being in his early 30s, if he gets himself hurt, how does that affect his trade value? How does that affect teams wanting to trade for that asset? Yes, he's a right shot defenseman who would help out so many teams. But do you want him at that? I, I don't remember the cap it off the top of my head. But do you want Chris Tanev with the, the risk that's there? But at the same time, that injury risk presents itself for Elias Lindholm, too. It presents itself for Noah Hannafin. They just don't play that. They just do not play that same style that Chris Tanev plays. I think if you if you're trading for Chris Tanev, you have to know that that's the deal. Like you said, that's the that's the way he plays the game. Like you could trade for him tomorrow, and he would come in the lineup. He could be out right away because he just plays a nasty, mean, physical, put my body at risk type of game. So I think you know he's what also you're a reliable defensive defenseman. Like he he, yeah. he plays such an important role on these teams that. You know, like a team like Toronto, so many people have been linking Toronto to Chris Tanev, a Toronto guy. The team needs defense anyway. Like he would do, he would create a positive benefit for a team that has been in need of defense for some time. It's just you have to brace yourself anytime uh, he a shoulder gets banged into the boards or he dives for to block a shot and it goes off of his face or his nose or whatever or his ear. There was an instance where a puck went off the side of his face last year. And he still found a way to finish the season. Like this guy puts his body through it and he just keeps bouncing back up. But there's a risk. That's the risk that the flames enter the season with, with all those pending UFAs and not putting them in positions where they're signed with contracts or dealt to other places. Like it's, it is what it is. This is part of the game. As far as I'm concerned, let's, uh, let's wrap up by chatting. We'll stay in Alberta and chat about something that you and Laz talked about. Laz and uh, DNB, Daniel Nugent Bowman wrote about this earlier in the week. It is Connor v. Connor, McDavid against Bedard. And uh, we've got a full slate of games, uh, 13 to be exact on Tuesday, so fun. But in terms of star power, nothing will, will come close to McDavid versus Bedard on, on Tuesday night. I, I loved your conversation because it, it's a good conversation to have. I think the league needs to market its stars, and then in, by extension, you need to pit them against each other a little bit to some extent. And Crosby, as you guys talked about on Monday, Crosby and Ovechkin, it just worked. Opposite personalities, legitimate rivals, they met in the plaza. What would it take for McDavid and Bedard to be a legit 
true rivalry. I think I, I it has think, to be. Uh, you know what I think it is? What? At, and this is probably going to take a couple of years. They got to be neck and neck for a scoring race. That's yeah, the only thing I, I can see. Yeah, I, I I could see that, but I I still think that both players being in different stages of their careers, like I, that's still just a bit difficult for me. If it, that's what we're just going to go off of, but I could understand why that would work for me. It would take genuine disdain for one or the, uh, for, for the other. I, I like, I, I, I think that, you know, if you see Connor McDavid go at Connor Bedard for whatever reason or vice versa, and you clearly see that those two just don't like each other, then I think you have something there. Like, imagine a scenario where Connor Bedard is the young guy, the new guy on the block, and he feels so confident in himself, he feels he could come at Connor McDavid's throne. And Connor McDavid is obviously just looking at him and being like, dude, what are you doing? You have so many years left in this game. Like, don't worry about that. Like, I think he would take something like that, but that's not in the nature of the hockey players that we cover, or at least no. they wouldn't do that publicly for us to see. I, I I think it takes something between those two, like Alexander Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby, yeah. you know, playing each other in playoff series and the geog and, and the geography of it all. And then being drafted where they were, there were already these natural factors that came together, but they also did not like each other. Don't know if you remember this. I know it's not on the same level as whatever hate they might have had. But do you remember those really old all-star game commercial where all these players are in a hotel and Alexander Ovechkin is sitting in a room and he's calling, making this order for room service. And at the end, he's like, oh, my name is Sidney Crosby. And at the very end, you see all this, this massive order go to Sidney Crosby's room. And Crosby turns around and he's like, Ovechkin. Like he's like, he's mad. And like that might on its own just be like a funny little thing. But because those two players didn't really like each other coming yeah. up, that's what makes the commercial funny. There's like a genuine rivalry that's not fake between those two players, which makes that commercial work and ultimately that rivalry to work. So for McDavid and Bedard to work, it's one thing for those two to compete against each other for a scoring title or even a playoff series at some point. I think you need to genuinely see those two in conflict with each other. They need to dislike each other. People like to put together McDavid and Matthews together, but I don't see any sign that those two don't like each other. They've trained with with each other. They've trained with each other in the summer. So I, I think it would I think it would have to be those two cannot get along. That's what it takes. Well I think part of the problem too is the age difference, right? You got an 18 year old in Bedard and a 26 there's an eight year gap. So it's not unlike like we never have really seen a rivalry or whatever you want to call it between McDavid and Crosby because yeah. we feel like there's just a, a, too much of an age gap there. Like I think McDavid's contemporaries in terms of a true uh, rival for him, it would be Matthews. Matthews would be the guy. Yeah. But I like at the same th- time, I just don't feel those two, unless I'm wrong, I don't feel those two like dislike each other, like for a rivalry to happen. But do you think neat? There needs to be some kind of it doesn't have to be hatred, but like there has to be this one upping of the other. And I don't know if that's generally there. Let me Um, beyond us trying to beyond us trying to compare the two. Matthew scores 60 goals two years ago, wins the MVP. You don't think that that's stuck in McDavid's uh, head 
and he came back and he scored what 64 that's fair and he was almost like oh you guys that's think scoring 60 is special hey no one said boom he's like i think there was a little bit of one-upmanship or feeling of hey 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 don't forget about me but that's you're fair. right that's, that's, that's fair but i but i think i just i just would like like it's easy for us to compare them statistically and even for both players to look at each other statistically and be like all right cool like you know I want to make sure that I one up this guy. I guess I would just like it to be a little bit more front facing. Like the fact that we've seen them train with each other, uh, like, like imagine, like we have people in Toronto who are like, all right, I can't wait until Connor McDavid's a free agent. We bring him home. Like, I wonder how that would work. If you have both those two superstars playing with each other, like I would just like something a little bit more tangible in terms of a rivalry, something that like, like you clearly are in, and that's another thing too. As good of a player as Austin Matthews is, Austin Matthews is on a completely different tier than Connor McDavid is. That's something else that I think adds to that too. Where yeah. Connor McDavid is the best player in the world, and how many times have we been able to say that Connor and Austin are on the same level playing field? I don't think it's been that long. So you can't even have a situation where your 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 team Matthews or team McDavid beyond the teams really. I mean, or at least if you do, it's not it's not that fair of a fight compared to what Team Crosby and Team Ovechkin was. Like both those guys probably looked at each other statistically, and they were one year was Crosby was better, another year is Ovechkin was better, one year is Crosby's yeah. better. No, one year is Ovechkin's better. How many times could you genuinely say, even if even if Austin Matthews had a sixty goal season? How many yeah. times could you say that Austin Matthews was legit a better player than Connor McDavid was? No, it's no. Yeah, I don't know it, if you it, could do that. So I don't yeah. know if that's like. So but that's think, how I feel about that rivalry. Yeah, but I think Matthews winning that MVP was kind of like a hey, uh, a little. Not that McDavid needs motivation, but I think he really appreciated coming back and scoring sixty and then winning the uh, winning the Hart Trophy the year after. All he right. won, and he won an MVP the same year in 2022 that Con- that Connor McDavid went all the way to a conference final and bossed out that he's as he did in the playoffs. And yeah. people were wondering if he should be getting votes for the Conn Smythe Trophy, even though he was nowhere to be found in that cup final between Colorado and Tampa Bay. I made that point that year where it's like, okay, all right. I mean, obviously Austin Matthews deserves the 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 the, the Hart Trophy, but you know, Connor yeah. McDavid still proved to be the better player overall that year. No, ab- absolutely. All right, that does it for the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. The two of us are back at it. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, we're going to have a couple of guests. We're going to have uh, Murat Atesh, uh, does a great job covering the Winnipeg Jets for us. We'll get the latest on Kyle Connor and kind of what's been an interesting season in Winnipeg, where I think they're they're exceeding expectations, probably for in a lot of people's minds. So Murat's going to drop by, and then down goes Brown. Sean McIndoe, as always. So that, that should be a fun show coming up on Wednesday, Julian. Oh, I, I, I can't wait for that. Anytime we get to talk to DGB, it's a great time, but also Murat. Uh, really good coverage with the Winnipeg Jets. Also puts up some really great stories otherwise uh, to, around the NHL. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. I don't think he's. I don't think we've had him on this year, so that's gonna be fun. I think we uh, replaced him with Kevin Shovel Day off early in the season. Yeah, that's what yeah. we did. Yeah, exactly. Kevin was alright, but I'm pretty sure Murat can wax poetic uh, just as well, if not better. I, I think so. All right, we'll leave it there. Hope you enjoyed listening to the uh the tuesday pod a reminder any thoughts that you have any questions any comments we'd love to hear from you the athletic hockey show at gmail.com we love to open up that email get emails into the mailbag again the athletic hockey show at gmail.com or 
you can give us a phone call. 845-445-8459. Right now, till the end of the month, you can gift a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $19.99. Or you can do it two years for $39.99 when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.